Please turn with me to Psalm 119, one verses 105 to 112. Psalm 119, and we'll begin reading in verse 105 this morning. There the word of Christ says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. O accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand. Yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking, Lord, for your word to be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Lord, knowing that we are living in a world that is filled with darkness, Lord, that is filled with many lies, much deception. And yet, Lord, we need um, a light. Lord, we need wisdom so that we can navigate through this life and enter into the life to come so that we can know your will and do those things that are pleasing in your sight. And yet, Lord, this whole world is filled with nothing but darkness. And so we thank you, Father, that you've given to us your word, which is a light, Lord, shining in a dark place. Lord, that gives us the knowledge of your will, that teaches us, Lord, rightly of how we can be reconciled to you and how we can live a life that is pleasing in your sight. And so, Father, we pray that we would walk according to this light, Lord, rejecting the darkness of this world, Lord, putting that aside, and Lord, striving to do those things that are pleasing in your sight. So, Lord, may you teach us today, and may your word illumine us today, Lord, giving us understanding, Lord, giving to us wisdom, and, Lord, causing us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in Hosea chapter 14, verse 9, the prophet Hosea says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. The way of the Lord is right. right? The word of God gives wisdom so that we might know the will of God. But this wisdom is only beneficial to those who are discerning, only to those who are wise. The fools despise wisdom. Even when they encounter the wisdom of God's word, it goes in one ear and out the other. The word does not abide in their heart. It takes no root, and so it does not lead them to produce the fruits of wisdom. We must see and understand that if we will be wise in the sight of God, if we will have the wisdom that leads to salvation, then that wisdom must come from a source outside of man. It must come from somewhere outside of us. It has to come somewhere other than this earth. Otherwise, it will not lead us to do the will of God. And this is what the Bible does. God's word is the only source on earth of the wisdom of God that can give us the knowledge necessary for life and godliness. All other sources of wisdom lead to death, to ruin, to destruction, to wickedness. Only the word of God can produce life in us. This is why the prophet Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, 47, he says, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. 
And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. And our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 4, 4, that it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God is the only spiritual bread that can nourish the soul. Without God's word, we will starve to death spiritually. But the one who feeds on the word of God, who believes the word of God, will have spiritual food that will lead to eternal life. Well, in our passage today, the prophet uses another illustration to describe the benefits of the word of God. The word of God is described as a lamp, as a light to his feet. He describes it in this way because he's a believer. He's a believer who understands that he needs a light, that this world is filled with darkness. He needs a light. He needs something to illuminate his life so that he does not walk in darkness and he sees that it is the word of God. The word of God is this lamp to brighten his way so that he can know the will of God. So let's turn to Psalm 119 and 105. Let's start in 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We are called to live in this present world. And the world that we live in as believers is a world that is filled with darkness. This world is consumed. It is overwhelmed, overthrown with much darkness because the world lies under the power of the evil one, lies under his deception, lies under the many lies that come from the devil. And as a result, the world is filled with darkness. And we live in this present world. And many people are saying to us things all the time that are darkness. There is no light there, but it is only darkness. We also used to live in this darkness, just as the rest of mankind. We were born into this darkness. We lived in this darkness for a period of time until the time of our salvation when the light of the gospel shone upon us and brought us out of darkness into the light of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5 verses 6 to 21 describes this. Ephesians 5 verse 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then let us not be foolish, But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even to the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There he says that we used to formerly we were in darkness, but now we are in the light of the Lord. 
So we need to live in light and not live in darkness anymore. And what is darkness but sin? Sin is darkness. The life of sin is the life of darkness. To live in sin is to live in the darkness. And by nature, we were children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. By nature, we were children of darkness, just like everyone else. But now, we no longer live in darkness. Now, we have light from God. We used to live in the kingdom of darkness under the power of Satan with the rest of mankind, but now we have been delivered by Christ and brought into the kingdom of light. As it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We used to be in the domain of darkness, but now... We are rescued. We are ransomed. We have been brought out of that kingdom by our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we live in his kingdom. And his kingdom is not characterized by darkness, but by light. Because God is light. And in him there is no sin. However, though this is true of us spiritually, physically we still live in this present world. We still live in this world that is ruled by the evil one. We live in a world that is filled with much darkness. It says in 1 John 5, 19, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. We are of God. We belong to God. God is light, but the world belongs to the devil. And this present world is under the power of the evil one. And it is filled with darkness and with many lies. Also, John 3, 19 to 21 says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Sinners hate the light. They hate the truth of God's word. They hate the righteousness of Christ. They love their darkness. This present sinful world is filled with such darkness, right? The children of light must live for a period of time in the world of darkness. But while we are in the world of darkness, we cannot walk the way that they walk. We cannot live in darkness as they live in darkness. We cannot be like the people of this world. So how will we overcome this? How will we overcome the darkness? How will we keep to succumbing to the lies of the devil? Well, Psalm 119, 105 tells us, what has God given to us to lighten us, to give us light so that we do not come under the spell of the devil in his darkness? It is the word of God. Your word, he says, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is the word of God that gives us the ability to discern the lies of the devil, to overcome the darkness so that we do not walk after the children of this earth. God's word is the lamp that gives light to God's children as they sojourn in the world of darkness. Now, when we're in this world, aren't the people of this world, don't they want us to join in with them? Don't they want us to join in in sin? 
They want us to believe the things that they believe. They want us to live the way that they live. And they'll tell us, no, no, this isn't darkness. This isn't sin. This isn't evil. These things are good. This is the way that we ought to live. This is a new philosophy, a new idea, a new ideology, right? We're progressive people. We understand now that we don't have to live the way like that anymore. We don't have to live this strict discipline life. We can do whatever we please because we understand we have new ideas, new ideas about morality, new ideas about good and evil, about right and wrong. And we don't have to live like that anymore. We can live a different way. This is what they're going to say to us. They are the ones, according to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, they give darkness for light and light for darkness. They exchange light for darkness, and then they tell us that what is darkness is actually light. They say, no, it's not darkness. This is light. This is good. This is the way that you should live. Well, how are we going to discern these things? How are we going to know that what this man is telling me is light is actually darkness? We have to have a standard. We have to have a source of light by which we judge all other so-called lights. And what is that source? It's the Word of God. And if what this man is telling me, who he says it is light, is contradicting the Bible, then what do I know? He's, he's a liar. He's not telling me the truth. But what he is saying is actually darkness. And if I live and I adopt and accept his philosophy, his wisdom, his values, then it will lead to my ruin and destruction. And I don't want that to be the case. The Bible describes the Christian life as a hard and narrow way, right? Hard and narrow. The gate is small, Jesus says. And the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Matthew 7, 14. How will we stay on this narrow path? How will we keep from straying away? How will we be able to overcome the many obstacles, the many impediments, the dangers that surround us on every side? We must have a light, a light to guide us, a light to illuminate us so that we are not taken captive by the darkness, so that we do not fall to our own ruin and destruction. The world is filled with many perilous dangers, many pitfalls, many traps, many deadly serpents in the way. And we need a light so that we can see the path, so that we can see the dangers, so that we can avoid the obstacles and not be overcome by these things. Doesn't it say in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 that Satan masquerades as an angel of light? He masquerades as an angel of light, and his servants masquerade as, as apostles of light, as teachers of light. This is what they do. They spew darkness under the guise, under the deception of light. With all of these perils, with all of the darkness that exists in the world, how will anyone safely make it to the heavenly kingdom? Only by God's word. The Spirit of God using the Word of God. Lighting our path so that we can avoid darkness, avoid evil, and do what is good and pleasing in the sight of God. God's Word is the lamp that guides our feet. God's Word is the only lamp that we need. It is not a lamp among many lamps. It is not the first lamp among equals. It is the only lamp that the children of God need and that the children of God have to navigate through this life until they safely reach the kingdom of God. We do not need the word of God plus the ideas of men. 
We do not need the word of God plus our own opinions, our own perceptions, our own ideas. Right? It is very easy for us to do this, to listen to our friends, to listen to our family, to listen to whatever talking heads there are out there, to go to the internet, to look here and there, to see what men say instead of going to the Bible. But our first impulse should always be to seek the scriptures. What does the word of God say? Go to the Bible as our source of light. And the Bible will always guide us into the truth, into what is light, and it will give us the ability to overcome the darkness, overcome the lies of the devil. Just as the wise men were guided by the star to the place where the Christ was at, they were led by a brilliant light. So we are led by the word of God which is for us a dazzling light, a brilliant light that leads us, it guides us, it directs us to our destination, to our heavenly destination. Verse 106, 119-106. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. Here, he used to be a natural man. He used to be a wicked man who transgressed the laws of God. But now he is a changed man. He is a redeemed man. He is a righteous man who wants to keep God's righteous laws. He understands and recognizes that the ordinance of God are righteous. He calls them such. He calls them your righteous ordinances. God's ordinances are his laws or his commandments. And God's laws are never evil, but they are only righteous. His laws are righteous laws because they proceed from God who is a righteous God. He is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It says in 1 John chapter 1 or Psalm 11 verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. He knows that God's law will only be for his good. God's law is never for our harm. It never is a detriment to us. It is only for our good. How can the righteous ordinance of God ever lead to ruin, to destruction, to misery, to chaos? Only when we transgress them, but not in keeping them, in obeying them in the right way, right? Not for our salvation, but as a result of our salvation. By the Spirit of God, when we walk in the ordinances of God, the righteous ordinances of God, then it will always be for our benefit. It'll never be for our harm. Just as when the authorities pass good laws in the land, righteous laws for the citizens, these laws are not a detriment to the happiness and welfare of the people, but they're for their benefit. It's for the good and thriving of society. And so it is in God's kingdom. His righteous ordinances always result in our good. They bring about blessing for God's people. Well, the prophet David knows this. He knows that they're good, that they're righteous ordinances. And being a righteous man, he wants to keep the righteous ordinances of God. And so he has made a commitment. He is resolved to obey God. He has sworn a solemn oath to God, an oath that he will confirm over and over and over again. This is what I'm going to do. This is what he has done before God. He has sworn an oath to God to keep his righteous ordinances. Many people make spurious, fickle commitments to Christ. 
Actually, the churches encourage this. They encourage this type of spurious, fickle commitment to Christ. People will walk down to the front of the church. They give their life to Christ. They'll be baptized by the minister. When they're baptized, they'll say, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. This is what they say, that they're going to walk in newness of life, that they're going to live for Christ. They say, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. Right? Don't they sing that song? They'll sing that and say, I'm never going to turn back. I'm always going to follow Christ. This is what they say. There are many people who have done this, who make loud boasts of their love and devotion of Christ. But their commitments are very casual, very spurious, very short-lived. In only a matter of time, you look for them and you can't find them. It's like, where did they go? They were here. They said all these things. They made all these commitments, but where are they, right? Where did they go? What came of this commitment that they made to Christ? They said they weren't going to turn back, but I don't see them anymore. They must have turned back. In Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says, Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Many people claim to be very loyal to God, but in reality, what is the case? It is very rare to find a trustworthy man, to find a faithful man, to find a man who follows through with what he has said he will do. Many people give lip service to God, but they do not mean it. They have lots of talk, but it does not show up in the way that they live. Very, very few who will take the Christian life seriously. We cannot be like this. We cannot be like the fickle crowds that followed Jesus. Thousands of people followed Jesus temporarily, right, for a short amount of time. They followed him from place to place. They even called themselves his disciples. And they did this to see miracles. They did it so that they could eat bread. But when Jesus pressed them on their faith, when he pressed them on their commitment, what kind of disciples are you? Do you understand what it entails to be my disciple? Do you understand that the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? Do you understand that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me? When Jesus began to press them on these issues, what did the crowds do? What did these fickle followers of Christ do? They walked away. They walked away and they said, this is... These words are too hard, right? Who can understand these things? And they no longer walked with Christ. But that's not what the prophet David did. He did not do that. He was not one of these fickle people. He has sworn, and he will confirm it. He's going to live a godly life. He is going to walk according to the righteous ordinances of God. And that is who we have to be like. We have to be like him, not like the fickle crowds. We must be true and sincere in our commitments to Christ, in our oaths to him. Psalm 119, 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. When we are resolved to keep God's righteous ordinances, then we will have exceeding afflictions. This is because God's ordinances are righteous. If God's ordinances were not righteous then we would have many friends. We wouldn't have afflictions, we'd have many friends. But because the ordinances of God are exceedingly righteous, then we will have 
many enemies. Jesus says such in Luke 21, 17. You will be hated by all because of my name. Well, this was what was happening to the prophet David. This was his experience. He says, I am exceedingly afflicted. Because the ordinances of God are exceedingly righteous, because his commitment to these ordinances is exceedingly strong, then he will have exceeding afflictions. This is what he is experiencing. But what does he do in this situation? Where does he go? Well, he's not moping and groping about. He's not whining, complaining, grumbling against the Lord, saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right, why is this happening to me? He's not doing any of those things. He goes to God and he pleads with God for revival. Revive me, he says, according to your word. Revive me, strengthen me, give me life, right? Give me more grace, more mercy, right? Continue to revive and strengthen me and give me life according to your word. Now, as a side point, many people talk about revival. They say, we need to pray for revival. They say, oh God, will you send a revival? We need revival in the land. land. They'll even hold revival meetings. But when they have these meetings, what do they rarely do, if ever? They do not preach the word of God. But if there is no word... There's no revival. If the word of God is not there, then God is not going to revive the person. Isn't that what the prophet David is saying here? Revive me, not apart from your word, but revive me according to your word. He understands that if he's going to be revived, then it must happen according to the word of God. There has never been and will never be a true revival whether in the individual, in the family, in the church, in the society, apart from the Word of God. So when I hear people talk about this great movement, this great revival, all of these conversions, and then you see that these movements have little to no emphasis on the Word of God, then what do we know? This isn't true. It's false. This is not true revival. It is a false revival brought about by false preachers preaching false words, producing false converts. But true revival always comes according to the word of God, and that's what the prophet David wants. He wants God to revive him, strengthen him, but he knows this will never happen apart from the holy word of God. God revives his people in the midst of their afflictions through his word, always, never apart from it. Psalm 119.92 If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. By the precepts of God, I have been revived. He says, so I'm never going to forget them. I'm not going to turn away from your commandments. This is my source of life. You have revived me by them once, and you will continue to revive me by them. Therefore, I will hold them to the very end. Also, this can be also applied to people who talk about the Spirit. You know, in the Baptist churches, they talk a lot about revival. And then in Pentecostal churches, they talk a lot about the Spirit. Oh, the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to do this, to do that. All these movements of the Spirit. And yet, in many of these churches, what are they not focusing on? The Word of God. 
The Spirit of God does not work apart from the Word of God. So they talk about the Spirit. They talk about these feelings. They talk about all the great things the Spirit is doing, but there's no focus and emphasis on the Word of God. So what Spirit is this? Well, it's not the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of the devil. It is a false Spirit because it is not focused on the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 108. He says, Oh, accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord. And teach me your ordinances. Though he is exceedingly afflicted, he is not despondent. His soul is not embittered towards the Lord. But rather, he is praising God. He's able to rise above his afflictions and continue thanking and praising God for the goodness of God given to him. He is offering to God a free will offering of the mouth. A free will one, meaning a voluntary one. Not when he's obligated to come. He's doing this all the time. A free will offering of his mouth to the Lord. A sacrifice of praise to God. He's doing this even though he is exceedingly afflicted. When we meditate on the promises of God that are ours in Christ, when we consider our life and all that God has done for us, all the blessings he's given to us, both physical blessings, but primarily the spiritual blessings, doesn't the blessing always far outweigh the affliction? It is far greater than the affliction. So even if we are exceedingly afflicted like the prophet David, and none of us have ever suffered the way that he did, but even if we do suffer to the extreme that he did, he is still able to praise and thank God because the blessings of God are far superior, far more vast, far greater than his afflictions. His afflictions are light and momentary. They are in this life. But the blessings of God are not only in this life, but will also carry with us into the life to come. So they are never-ending, eternal blessings of God. So even if we are the most miserable creature in the world, we still have reason to praise God. We still have reason to thank God if we have his salvation because whatever is making us so miserable in this life, one day it's going to go away. It is only temporary. It will not go with us into the life to come. But we will be set free and then we will have only the joys, the comforts, the blessings of eternal life. So we always have reason to give praise to God. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. It says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. There, through him, through Christ, we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Always doing this. And the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that give thanks to God, that give thanks to his name. We should always be thanking God because of his kindness to us. Right? It is often the case that our afflictions are intensified and are worse because we are ungrateful. Because we are ungrateful. We're not thinking properly. We're not focusing on the goodness of God to us. When we are in the midst of a hardship, an affliction, 
we become overwhelmed. That's the only thing that we see. It consumes us. We're consumed by our tormentor, by the lies, by the evil words, by the slander, the hardships, the afflictions. And we think, oh, this is so horrible. This is so miserable. But we need to remember what God has done for us. That it's not just misery. It's not just hardship. There are many blessings that we have from God. When our circumstances are not as we hope, then we should stop and thank God for what he has done for us. And then this will keep us from being depressed. It'll keep us from being embittered toward God. And it'll give us the right perspective, the right attitude while we go through our afflictions. And it'll make it where it's more bearable and tolerable for us in the midst of our affliction to remember the goodness and kindness of God. 109 to 110 says, My life is continually in my hand. Yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. Here he says, my life is continually in my hand. By this he means his life is in constant danger. Constant danger, constant threat. People are wanting to put him to death. They are laying snares for him, seeking to destroy him. We know that this is true when we read First and Second Samuel. David's life was jeopardized many times. He was nearly put to death, nearly executed on multiple occasions, all because he was living a righteous life. They did not want his light shining onto their sin. Men love their darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The ultimate primary light is the light of Christ. He is the light of the world. And yet, whenever we believe in him, whenever we are converted, he places his light in us. So what they think about Christ, they will also think about us. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is why they are treating him this way. And this is why all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Men cannot bear the light of Christ. It exposes their sin. So they have to either get away from it or they have to extinguish it. Whatever it takes, they have to put the light out so that it is not exposing their sin. And this is ultimately the light of Christ. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. What is the darkness? But this present world, the world of sinful men, 
Christ shined into that darkness, and yet the darkness did not comprehend it. The world, though it was made by him, did not know him. His own people did not receive him. This because they are in darkness. And ultimately, what did they do to Christ? What did they do to the light of the world? They sought to extinguish him, though they could not do that because the light ultimately overcomes the darkness. But because they hated his light so much, they put him to death. Well, if his light is in us, then what would they want to do to us? They're going to do the same thing. It's also going to be true of us. When we are redeemed by Christ, his light is placed in us. His light shines in our life, and when that happens, men will hate the light in us because they love their evil deeds. They will seek to extinguish us just as they sought to extinguish Christ. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There, we are to live a righteous life. The Christian life is not to be lived in a closet. It's not to be lived in the privacy of the home, but then when we go out in public, we just live like the world. We can't do that. Now, of course, we're not living the Christian life to be seen by others, to receive the praise of men. But if we're living it in the right way, for the praise of God, to glorify God, it is going to be seen by men. They will see our light shining. This is going to be the, the way it is. Well, when the light of Christ shines in us, then just as they did to Christ, they will want to do to us. They're going to hate us as well. The light shines before the men. The men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil, so they're going to want to put the light out. They will revile us, they will slander us, they will persecute us, they may even want to kill us, all because they cannot bear to have the word of Christ testifying against their sins. Whether that be the spoken word that comes out of our mouth, or whether that be the word seen in the life of faith, seen in our righteousness, the words and the deeds of the righteous testify against the world that it is evil and destined for judgment. This is the way it's going to be. Well, because of this, his life was in his hand. They were laying traps for him, trying to catch him. But what's he going to do? In the meantime, when all this is taking place, he says, I do not forget your law. I have not gone astray from your precepts. He is not going to forsake the Lord. He's not going to give up living a godly life because it results in persecution. He knows that this is the way it's going to be. And we have to have this set in our mind as well. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. Where does the Bible ever promise that God's children are going to have a life of ease and comfort? It never does that. But what does it always tell us from the very beginning to the very end? that it is through many tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Didn't it happen in Genesis chapter 4? Cain killed Abel, and why did he kill him? But 
because Cain was evil and Abel was righteous. It happened there, and it happens all the way through the book of Revelation. It's happening there and everywhere in between. So why would we ever entertain this notion, this idea, that we're going to have a life unscathed? That we're going to have a carefree, easygoing, happy-go-lucky life with no tormentors, no persecution, no suffering. Everyone's going to love us, and we're going to have a million friends. It's never going to be that way. And whenever we're suffering, we cannot abandon the Lord. We cannot say, I didn't sign up for this. This is, this is more than what I thought was going to happen, so I'm going to go back and live in the world. Because if we go back to the darkness, then they're not going to hate us. They're going to love us just because we're living like them. But when we live a righteous life, then they will hate us. But we cannot give up. We cannot forsake the Lord. We cannot turn astray, turn aside from God's precepts, even though obeying God leads to suffering. The devil This is what he wants. He wants to use persecution so that we will fall away, to snatch the word out of our life. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. It says such in verses 18 to 23. Matthew 13, 18 says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. There, it is affliction, it is persecution that arises in his life because of the word of God. And then what happens to this rocky man? He falls away. He has no root. He turns away and he does not continue in the things of God. One of the means the devil uses to cause the word to be unfruitful in false disciples, is the presence of persecution and afflictions that arise on account of the word. We cannot be like this. We cannot be like this. We cannot shrink back and be destroyed, but we must press on. We cannot forget and we cannot forsake the word of God, even if our faithfulness to the word leads to persecution. We have to endure, endure to the very end. Psalm 119, 111 through 112 says, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. God's word will never pass away. God's word is an eternal word. The words of men are fickle. They are subject to change. They will pass away. But God's word will never pass away. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away in Matthew 24, 35. And remember in Psalm 119, 89, it says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. The promises of God found in the word of God 
He says, these are mine. These are my inheritance. They belong to him forever. He says, I have inherited them forever. He means that the implications of God's word will last in his life for all eternity. Because the Bible is speaking and addressing eternal realities to us. It is promising to God's children blessings that will endure for all eternity. Right, The righteousness we receive from Christ is not just a righteousness for this life, but it is a righteousness that equips us and fits us to live with God for how long? Right, Forever, right, for all eternity. The kingdom that we will inherit from Christ is not a temporary kingdom, but it is an eternal kingdom, one that will never be shaken. The joys and comforts that we will receive will last for all eternity. The rewards, the riches that are stored up for us in heaven will be ours for all eternity. We will inherit a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And how long will we be with God? We will be with Him for all eternity. This is why He says that these testimonies are His inheritance forever. Right, forever, because they are speaking to him, they're reminding him of what God will give him for all eternity. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There, God's dwelling place is with men, not with all men but with the elect, right? With believers, with the righteous. God will be among them. And what will he do for them? He'll wipe all their tears from their eyes. There'll be no more mourning, no more affliction, no more hardships, no more sadness, no more death. All of these things are gonna be gone away with. The first things have passed away. Those things pertain to this life, but not to the life to come. And how long will we enjoy this blessed state? For all eternity, forever and ever. What we will experience in the life to come, we have those things confirmed to us now by the word of God in the form of a promise. And he already possesses his inheritance by a title, right? He has a title deed to it. He has a certificate from God that guarantees him these things. Even though he has not entered into the full enjoyment of those things yet, he has it by way of promise from the word of God. They are his forever, already his inheritance forever. These promises then are the joy of his heart. He's meditating on them. He's thinking about what God has given to him. He's thinking about the eternal implications of God's word and it fills his heart with joy even though these things are eternal, even though they are unseen, he sees them by his faith in the word of God. 
he sees what God is going to give him, what he has coming to him by way of inheritance, and it fills him with joy, and it causes him to walk in the ways of God. Now, an unbeliever cannot do this. Amen. He doesn't think like this. An unbeliever is only consumed with this present world, with the here and now. But because the Word of God is dealing with eternal realities, he doesn't want anything to do with it. It, right? it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate with him because he's looking for something for this present world. This is why in Malachi 3.14, there the unbelieving people say, It is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge, that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? The wicked man says it is vain to serve God. And why do they come to that conclusion? Because they're living for this world. And if they don't get some immediate temporal benefit from obeying God, then they say it's vain. What's the point in doing this? But a righteous man isn't living for this world. The righteous man, the believing man, he's living for the world to come. He has his sight set on eternity. He doesn't want earthly riches. He wants heavenly riches. He doesn't want ease and comfort in this life. He wants it in the life to come. That's what he has his eyes set upon. So he says the exact opposite of the wicked man. He says, it is good to serve the Lord. What great reward I have from the Lord. Look at this inheritance that God has given to me. And this is because he's living by faith in the word of God, beholding in the word of God the eternal rewards that await him in the life to come. The word of God has given him eternal life. And the word of God reveals to him the eternal rewards that await him in the life to come. So now, in this life, he says, I'm going to incline my heart to perform God's statutes forever, even to the end. Right? Seeing how good the word of God is, seeing all of the blessings that it promises to God's people, he says, I'm never going to turn away from these things. I'm not going to turn aside. I'm going to incline my heart after the word of God. With all of my might, I will keep God's word forever until the end. I'm going to keep it in this life, and I'm going to keep it in the life to come. One of the things that is true of all of God's people, whether they are in this life or whether they have passed from this life into the life to come, is their heart is inclined to the word of God. Right? What is the life to come? What life will we live in the life to come but a life of perfect submission, perfect conformity to the Word of God? That begins in this life. Now, in this life, it will not be perfect. In this life, because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, it will be imperfect. Yet our heart should still be inclined to the Word of God. But then in the life to come, it will be perfect. Our heart will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. All of God's children, whether they are in the life to come or whether they are still in this present world, all of them must have a heart that is inclined to the word of God. So we must ask ourselves, is our heart inclined to the word of God? Well, if we are one of his children, this will be true of us. It is impossible that someone is a true child of God and his heart is not inclined to the word of God. If God is our father, then we need to follow in the footsteps of the prophet David. And we need to incline our hearts to God's statutes. And how long should we do this? He says forever, to the end. 
from our conversion until the end of our life, and then for all eternity. Our heart should be inclined to the word of God. So let us pursue that with all of our might. As long as we have breath, this is the way that we should live in this present life. Doing the will of God, inclined to the word of God, walking in the light as he is in the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, asking that, Lord, what was true of David, Lord, that you would make it true of us as well. That just as his heart was inclined, Lord, after your statutes, Lord, after your testimonies, he had this desire, this great desire, to keep your word. Lord, we pray that that same desire would be found in us. Lord, that we would want nothing more than to live a life of obedience to you. That, Lord, you would incline our heart after your word. Lord, that we would keep it until the very end. Lord, we know that we need your word more than anything else. Lord, this is the food that we need. This is the bread that we need to eat of every day that will lead to eternal life. Lord, we thank you that your word has given to us, Lord, your promises. And even now, the inheritance that we have, Lord, that we will have for all eternity. Lord, the delights and the joys that we will experience in heaven Lord, even now you have given those to us in the form of a promise so that we can, even in this life, begin to enjoy. Lord, begin to, by faith, experience the blessings that will be ours in the life to come. Lord, may we meditate daily upon these truths. And Lord, we pray that they would fill our hearts with joy as we think about it. And Lord, that it would cause us to put away the flesh Lord, to not live in darkness. Lord, to not be attracted to the darkness. But Lord, to hate it and to reject it and to walk in the light just as our Lord Jesus Christ is in the light. Lord, we pray that your word would give us discernment so that we could understand, Lord, and distinguish between good and evil. Lord, between truth and lies. We have many Voices, Lord, many people telling us all day, every day, how we should live, what we should value, what we should believe, Lord, what we should think about this topic or that topic. But Lord, we don't want the thoughts of men. Lord, we don't want their understanding. Lord, we want you to teach us. Lord, we want you to give us wisdom. Lord, what do you say about these things? Lord, that's what we want to know. And so, Father, I pray that we would have this conviction, Lord, that your word is light and that our impulse, our first impulse, would always be to go to the scriptures, Lord, to search your word to see whether or not these things are so. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us this conviction, Lord, give us this desire, this zeal for your word and that you would cause it to increase, Lord, throughout the time of our sojourning. Lord, as well, we pray that you would give us endurance. Lord, knowing that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. That just as the prophet David was exceedingly afflicted, so, Lord, we also will have our afflictions. But, Lord, we pray that they would not cause us to stumble and fall. 
but rather that you would give us strength, that you would give us the grace that we need, Lord, to overcome our afflictions, to endure them, and to enter into the kingdom of God. So, Lord, guide us by your word. Lord, lead us into the truth. Lord, knowing that your word is the truth. And build us up in our faith. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.